Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Hi guys, happy Wednesday. It's another show. And you know what? Did you know this, Carrie? Last. This is our last conventional podcast episode. What? You guys know this, right? Starting tomorrow, Thursday the 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and YouTube. What? We are going to be live streaming our show. It is going to be an on-camera, live, mom's night out, virtual show. Finally, all of the foundational garments I bought at the beginning of COVID on sale. (laughs) Finally put to some use. Oh, that's cute that you're still fit. (laughs) But guys... We're so excited about this. We've got a great guest. We have Eve Rodsky, the author of Fair Play. The host of the Fair Play podcast. Yep. We've got so much fun stuff. Hopefully you've joined the Montage Book Club. You have purchased your book. You've read it. You can also get it on tape. Yeah, you can listen to the audiobook. If you're lazy like we are. Although I am a voracious reader. That's why it's our logo. I'm a voracious readout. Reader. Readout. Readout. It has to be me saying it for that segment. I'm a voracious reader. Yeah, well, for sure. You've been saying that stupid pretentious line for so long. (laughs) It's one of the many pretentious things I say every day. It's true. But yeah, so very exciting. We're hoping you're excited for the first time in... I don't know how long we are doing everything from home. If you're like us, you are overwhelmed and you're over it. So join us Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time, live. Put on your sweatpants. Have a nice bottle of wine by your side. We're going to have drinking games. We're going to have fun conversation. We want you guys to interact with us. We're very excited. Today we have a really exciting show. We have two different musical family we have Sharon and Randy from Sharon Lawson Bram fame. Amazing. And Pierce Freelon, who's just, I mean, he is just so accomplished in so many ways. I don't even know how to intro him. He does everything. I don't either. And writing his intro when, like, before we did the interview was really difficult for me. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. This guy does everything. He's amazing. And so we can't wait for you to hear him. We've got, like, old school and new school all together in one. Yep. As always, we have our hashtag swag bag. And up next, the tits. And the shit. Shits. Okay, my tits are, for once in a really long time, all my plants are doing very well. That is a good tip. That's peak quarantine conversation that right is, there. But yes. we've always had one that was kind of dying, and all of our plants are doing really, really well. Um, some of my plants had babies, and I propagated them and rerooted them and gave them as gifts. And yeah, we are just in a real, real good plant time. And I also <laughs> really like it because I'm teaching Luna. Like part of my like homeschooling is teaching her how to respect plants, and we water them together. And I we were showing how the roots would grow when. I was getting ready to propagate the babies and and repot them. And so it's become like a really nice mother-daughter kind of learning thing. And our plants look dope, and I'm really excited. That's good. little things. What are your shits? My shits are, I'm trying to get stuff out of my apartment because Luna just had a major growth spurt intellectually and physically. And so a lot of the toys that were from when she was a baby are like really too babyish. Some of the stuff she still likes to play with. And so I've been putting stuff out on like all the mommy groups to try to sell. But I have like all of these toys and other stuff that people have not replied back to that I'll probably just donate. But there's just bags of stuff hanging out everywhere. And I just, 
you know when you've decided to clear something out, you yes. just want it out. You're like, I'm done now. Yeah. I don't want to look at it yes. in a bag. I just need it out of my space. And especially when you live in a two-bedroom apartment, there's not really much space for extra. And so I just want this stuff out. I just want it out. I want to see the space, you know, cleaned up and I'm going to hold off on buying her any new toys. When I say buy new, we're not, we don't really buy stuff. We just get it from friends when their kids are over it. But there's a batch of like toys for a little bit older that I want to get for my friend, but I don't want to get them until the other stuff is out. So that's my shit. Come on, people. Take the toys. Get the Some of them is is for free. So just come and get it. These are like quality toys. They've been wiped down. Get it. Get the toys. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I had that issue not too long ago. And remember, I was texting you. I was so insulted that my friend who was having a baby didn't want all my baby stuff. I was like, what? She's too good for it? This is good stuff. That's kind of how I feel. I'm like, these are leapfrog learning systems. Yeah, like. With batteries and all the pieces. Because you know me. I'm so OCD. Everything has all its original pieces. Nothing yep. is messed up. Nothing is damaged. It's like perfect. I have given, I gave you a toy where the batteries were out once. That was it. And I told you, I think it needs new and batteries. And I put new batteries in it. Yeah. You know, these are pedestrian things, but you know, this is real talk. Sometimes it isn't big highs and lows. Sometimes it's just the simple things like get the toys out of my house and I love plants. Okay, so my tits this week are, if you've been listening for a while, you know my grandmother has passed has away. left the building. <laughs> She's left the building. I mean, maybe, maybe she hasn't left the building. I don't know. I'm not so sure. So for a while, my mom and I have both been, you know, my family's very big on People coming to you in dreams and signs and stuff like that. And I haven't gotten anything. And it's been so weird to me, especially because she was kind of the biggest believer in this. And we were recently at my in-laws in Delaware in Pleasantville. And I was talking to my mother-in-law about it. She, it, The conversation went to ghosts. She was telling me about the first house they lived in. And there was a ghost that would watch over my husband as a little kid. Yes. And it was very much about from the house because it didn't follow them other places, all this stuff. And I started to talk about my grandmother and how strange it was. And, you know, cardinals are a sign that somebody who has passed is visiting you. I mean, I like how you said that, like, everybody knows. I know a lot about haunted things. I thought that was common knowledge. I'm surprised you don't know know that. I know, that's some shit I would, I'm upset that I didn't know. Yeah, no, cardinals are a very big sign. Also, they say butterflies. I knew knew butterflies, yeah. And I was saying, you know, I haven't even seen a cardinal like nothing nothing and the next day we are sitting in their dining room which is like their outdoor patio and matt says oh there's a dead bird on the porch i gotta go get it and you know like get rid of it and it is a dead female cardinal they have different coloring they're a little more brown than I was red. Like, did you look at its vagina <laughs> <laughs> like I moved its feathers to the side. No, it's a it's a coloring thing. Got it. And I didn't know this. My my mother in law was like, "Oh, that's a that's a female cardinal." So I started f- freaking out. I was like, "Oh no, what is happening here?" Got very worried. But it basically means a rebirth, right? So I dug a hole. I buried it. My father in law said he would make a little tombstone for it and everything. I was like, "That's a bit much, John. You don't need to do that." But he insists. Give the man something but to do. I think it's very nice. It's very sweet of him because he probably thinks I'm a kook and to go along with it is very nice. Well, he's probably thinking, well, shit, when I come back after I die, I, I'm going to have to yeah. depend on Ashley to be the one that's going to bury me. <laughs> Maybe. I'm the weirdo that'll be like, it's a sign. Exactly. But ever since then, all kinds of weird shit has been happening. For example, 
people. My grandmother, Cuban immigrant, very proud American. First one to tell you, I know Cuban, I American. She always wore these those little enamel American flag pins, always. Or she always had them all over the house and you would find them all over the fucking place. They were all over the place. And the other day we were at the post office waiting to get in and Sebastian was playing with something. He said, mama, what's that? And it was one of those pins. And then when you were over the house and there was the creaking, but I think that's more about Luna than anything else. I've just been feeling things a little bit more. So I'm happy. I'm happy to know that I may be reading too deeply into it, but you know, I guess I think that's what faith is, right? It's what makes us feel better. And it makes me feel good to think that she's here in some way. And, um, you know, that's my tits. My shits are, I hate laundry. Very menial. I don't have bigger shits right now, but I hate laundry. And you hate folding and putting away specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I like taking care of my stuff. I just don't like the labor intensity, intensity, intensiveness, intensiveness of laundry. The folding. And once it's clean, it's just dirty again. Oh, it just, it never ends. It's like even you're wearing clothes that literally will have to be washed once you take them off while you're doing why laundry. Why even it's wear infuriating. clothes? I mean, why wear clothes? Well, thank God for clothes, truly, because I don't want to see me naked, but that's that's my shits. What a show we have for show, you guys. guys. What a show, guys. Aren't you glad you're going to see our faces when we do this next time? Because the content is riveting. Riveting. <laughs> really selling this thing. Anyway. Stay tuned, because up next is Pierce Freelon. Today's guest is an activist, professor, director, musician, Emmy Award-winning producer, husband, and father. His new children's album, D.A.D., is out now. Welcome, Pierce Freelon. Hi, Pierce. Hey, how are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to come speak to us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This all happened so kind of organically. I was scrolling Instagram, and I saw an article on you, and I was like, who is this man? And started reading about you and reached out because I just thought, oh my God, you're so incredible. And equally organic, she texted me and she was like, look at this incredible man. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for Instagram. It's awesome. So you're incredibly impressive and you have your hand in a ton of pots. Tell us kind of like a brief bit about yourself, as brief as you can while still incorporating all these wonderful things. I'm a father and husband and a North Carolinian. I'm a Southern man. <laughs> a millennial, and I do lots of things. I teach at UNC Chapel Hill, which was also my alma mater for college. I make music, I do films, I'm involved in politics. So I like to do a lot, and my bio can get complicated and annoying to explain sometimes. But, you know, I think we're all complicated folks with multiple interests. And so for me, I, I've, uh, I've found some success doing lots of different things. You're talking to two professional freelancers, so we totally understand. The complicated bio. We're like, which bio do you have? Is it just in one bio or do we have like 12 separate bios? And how do I include it all in three sentences? What's my elevator pitch? Elevator pitch, totally impossible (laughs) and impractical. But, you know, I think think all humans are actually that complicated. But then, you know, we're taught to make sure our LinkedIn profile is nice and concise and only gives you a sliver of what you can sell. And so, but I think we're totally all more complicated than that. And I I only want to work with people that are that complex because it means you've lived a full life. Mm, I hear that. So you have kind of the most incredible family background and it's so deeply rooted in America. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Sure. Yeah. My great grandfather was a Harlem Renaissance painter and impressionist and from Philly. He also ran for political office. He ran for his state legislature and, you know, had some great kids who had some great kids. And my dad was one of them. 
He um, was an architect. Uh, he passed away last summer. He was the architect of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. But, you know, like we talked about multiple bios, he was also a photographer. He was also, you know, an athlete, he played basketball and, you know, was really into music. He was a drummer. So just very creative, innovative guy. And and my mom, too, similarly, she is a jazz vocalist, a six-time Grammy nominee. And, um, you know, both my parents, and I think they learned this from their elders, they were taught like, you know, don't just get a job to pay the bills and to earn money. You need to find something that you're passionate about so that while you're making money to sustain yourself, you can also have something that's enriching and that makes you happy. And that that quality of life, finding your passion is more important than just kind of making a check. And I always really appreciated that because I had a lot of friends, especially in college, whose parents really tried to steer them in one direction or another. You know, they just weren't happy. And so I'm pleased among the things that I've inherited from my parents, I've inherited the, you know, encouragement to pursue my passions. I feel like every parent should take that and have it tattooed on their wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you come from kind of like a family that's so saturated in the arts, I guess it's like so easy for you to kind of explore those endeavors yourself. But that being said, you also went to like UNC and all this other stuff. The rest of us went to, you know, theater school. Right, Carrie? That's true. We went to theater school. (laughs) My mom went to school for, she was like in nursing school. You know, she had three kids in her late 20s, early 30s when she decided to pursue her music career, kind of at the urging of my dad, who was like, look, you know, you're great at medicine and that's a nice steady gig, but you know, you're not happy. And so she quit her job at UNC Hospital, you know, in her early 30s and said, I want to sing. And she started singing at like local festivals and in the lobby at the mall, <laughs> you know, like one of those holiday singers with I the love piano that. player. And then she just kind of slowly built her career. Wow. She was signed to Columbia in 1990. And, you know, so for your listeners out there, you know, especially, you know, moms out there, she was a, a mother of three children when she decided to begin her career in jazz music. And she's such an inspiration to me because I think, you know, I spent my formative years like backstage at her shows and saw her career progress as I aged um, to world tours. And that was really inspiring for me to see. How lucky are you? Yeah, it was really special. I was just going to say, Pierce, I was having kind of a downer day, but now speaking to you, I'm like, you're like the personal like life coach speaker I need to hear right now. So thank you. Oh, wow. Well, yep. thank, thank my mom because she's the one who's, who's inspiring me right now. I would love to thank your mom because she sounds incredible also. So when I was doing research on you for all of this, I discovered that you have like a real life relationship with Dr. Maya Angelou, who is my all-time favorite poet writer in the world for a very long time. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what that has brought out of you artistically and as a man, as a black man, all of that? Yeah, Dr. Angelou, Auntie Maya, she was close friends with my maternal grandmother. So my mom that I was, who I was just singing the praises of, her mom was a descendant of enslaved Africans. She was a sharecropper who came out of Texas and moved to Cambridge to try to make a better life for herself. She was an entrepreneur. She was one of those door-to-door people that knocks on your doors trying to sell you something you didn't ask for. She sold a product called Noni Juice, which is this like, you know, cure-all prune juice. The fruit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and she owned a, a beauty salon. She did hair. So, you know, this woman who was very kind of African-centered, pro-Black, came out of that Black power era of the 60s, 
woman was like really good friends and, and colleagues and sisters with Auntie Maya. She was a part of our family. When my mom and dad moved to North Carolina, Auntie Maya was here in Winston and we would go see her and she would sign books for us and chat with us and spend time with us. And my sister, my older sister Maya is named after her. She's that close to our family. Yeah, it was really, she was always just so humble, so kind, so sweet, just like your auntie. You didn't know that she was some big celebrity that, uh, you know, was friends with Oprah and, you know, she didn't, act like that. She just treated you like, uh, you know, her little grandnephew. She gave you nuggies and kiss you on the cheek and <laughs> drop wisdom in your ear. So that, that was what it was like. If I may say, I used to work in television production and she was a guest on a show I was working on and I got to interact with her and she was very kind and said, Miss Ashley, and I started crying because I cry at the drop of a hat and just felt like I had been touched by an angel. And I know that is such a cheesy saying because it's a terrible show, but that is what it felt like. <laughs> it, and, and it was the most minute, inconsequential interaction, but it meant so much to me because she just, I don't know, it just felt like magic, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think she, a quote that's attributed to her, I'm totally paraphrasing, but she talks about like teachers or educators, nurturers around folks. You may not remember exactly what they taught you, but but you do remember how they made you feel. Yep. And um, she was definitely someone who, who made people feel good, who made them feel safe. Her ability to wield that Uh, positive, affirming energy is one of her most enduring legacies. Even just hearing you say it, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's a top 10 moment in my life. (laughs) Forget about the birth of my kid. (laughs) So, I mean, we've seen a huge and overdue racial upheaval going on in the world recently. And you created the animated musical series, The History of White People in America, which documents racism in the country. And it's airing right now on PBS, which is amazing. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. And then of course, I have some follow up questions. But like, what do you hope to see coming from all of this? Let's start with that. I don't want to inundate you with too many questions all at once. Sure. Yeah. I mean, History of White People in America is an animated uh, musical history lesson. And it's very much in the vein. Do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like Conjunction school- Junction. Right. What's your function? <laughs> so the cool thing about Schoolhouse Rock, one One of the reasons that I think it's so enduring is because it took a subject that was really complicated, that was really boring, frankly, and and it made it interesting. It made you uh, feel like you had a relationship uh, with this history, with this information, because it was presented in, in through animation and through music and song that was memorable and that made it really palatable and and able for young minds, especially to absorb it. And so with that kind of in mind and with hip hop as the genre, and you see this happening with musicals like Hamilton, we really wanted to take this very difficult, this very broad idea of racism and, and even race as a concept, as a social construct, and just kind of break it down to where did it come from? How did it start? How has it transformed over time? Like race isn't just this thing that has always been around. It's something that was created in the United States, at least. The the first time white appeared in a legal document in this country was in in the 1600s. Well, before this country even, it was still a colony at the time. And uh, it was created to prevent African folks with intermarrying because there was a rebellion, Bacon's Rebellion. There were all these African and poor Europeans rising up to challenge the British. And it was really kind of a class thing. It was like poor folks folks like, yo, come up off that land and stop oppressing us and give us our due. And, you know, the wealthy upper class was like, 
how can we prevent these broke Irish, Scottish, and African folks from seeing each other as allies? And so they created this idea of race. And so, you know, think about that. Like if they made it up, if they pulled this thing out of a hat and created this paradigm that is so impactful in our lives, what other capacities do we have to create? You know, what other realities and and futures can we create? We have that power today to create and recreate new identities and new possibilities and new futures. That's what I hope people will take from the film is that this is a figment of some, you know, British guy's imagination and it impacts us so much. What else is possible? Something that Ashley and I talk about all the time is how we can be good allies, like not only just as to white women in the United States, but as parents in teaching our children and hoping to pave and create a new way of history. What, in your opinion, can we do to be good allies and how can and should we talk to our children about race? Well, I think first just talk to them. Like I think a lot of a lot of white folks you know, especially prior to this past couple of years with the movement for Black Lives, I think the conversation is more easily accessible because of the organizing of, you know, young, Black, millennial, queer organizers. Um, they've made the conversation palatable and mandatory. But prior to this recent uprising, I think a lot of white folks that I know are don't know how to talk about race or they're afraid they're going to say something wrong or appear racist if they you know if they step into on a landmine of like oh, was that inappropriate? Like, I think just talking about it is a really good start. And then do your homework. Watch History of White People in America, read Ta-Nehisi Coates and James Baldwin, and develop a deeper understanding of where people of African descent are coming from and where they've been uh, coming from. You know, approach that research with empathy and an open mind and have those conversations with your kids early talk to them and get their wheels turning early so that it's not this taboo subject that by the time they're adults, you know, they're being hushed into silence around race. It should be something that, you know, that we can all talk about and share, especially with kids. One of the things that I have to say that I'm thankful that I am blessed with is uh, diarrhea of the mouth and not fear to speak. And so for me, my longtime motto about pretty much anything, not just about race, is that if you, I think someone quoted this, if you can think it, you can say it. If you say it, it becomes reality. And so for me, I would rather say something and be corrected or say that is inappropriate than not say anything at all. I feel like silence is like one of the worst things. Well, your intentions are also good. Not yes. everyone's intentions are right. so great. I would much rather say something and be corrected. At least they know that you're starting a conversation. Yeah. And I, and I think too, and this goes with what I was saying earlier about empathy, listen, like listen without the intention of responding, you know, and let people kind of speak their truth and hear it, really hear it. And I think that's the beginning of uh, engaging in a, in a deep dialogue where you're taking folks' feelings and experiences into account. Yeah. I also, I was watching, did you guys see this week's John Oliver? I did. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm a fan of his. Uh, are you speaking about something specific that he did? Yes. This week on his show, he did a whole piece on basically how we've been taught or not taught so much about black history in America. And it was just, you know, I realized that myself when I like Juneteenth happened in all of this going on in the world. And I had no idea what it was. It really shed some light between realizing that at that moment and watching the John Oliver piece that part of it seems like we're going to have to a states are going to have to teach history 
as ugly as it is in an honest way. And if they're not going to do it, then if we really want to be allies, we have to take that upon ourselves, educate ourselves and, you know, teach our kids that. Yeah, I mean, that the ugliness of American history is not something that you're going to get in your traditional, like, American curriculum. And this is where, you know, again, as parents, it becomes vital for you to, to tell the truth and to bring it back to the history of white people in America. I think that that's one of the reasons why, again, we chose animation as a medium. We chose music as a vehicle because uh, we hope that it's a soft entry point for folks, you know, and also the content is short form. It's like five to seven minutes. And we're in the midst of, you know, we've done three episodes that are out on PBS now. The whole series is going to be 15 episodes and it'll take you all the way from the 1600s to the present. Um, So we hope that will be, you know, a soft entry point for people to engage in that history in a way that's memorable and educational and entertaining at the same time. On that note, I read this quote that your father said that goes, as artists, we have a very important job in this world. It's to bring beauty and to bring joy to other people. You know, as an artist myself, this really spoke to me so intensely. So it's clear to me between all the different things that you do, that you use art as as a form of activism and, and what you just said, you know, making maybe making something that's ugly, just a little easier to digest. So how have you seen these endeavors really affect change in other people? I think that when you use art, you're kind of channeling a cosmic godly power that is within all of us. And, you know, regardless of of what kind of belief system you come from, like I believe that that creating things is actually tapping into some divine cosmic thing. Like, um, oh, what's the lady's name who wrote Eat, Pray, I was just going to say, um, Big Magic. Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. yeah, Big Magic talks about this a lot. Basically pulling brilliance out of the zeitgeist and ideas are things we all have access to. You know, you just have to be the one to reach up and grab it. And I really think that's true. You just need to be a lightning bolt for that shit to come through. Exactly, exactly. So I think our job as artists is to be portals. It's to listen and to absorb and to transform and interpret and present and manifest the the big magic that's around us all constantly. And hopefully what you do in that practice is open more folks up to kind of the brilliant majesty of nature and the universe and existence. And I think that brings people closer to uh, their creator and in being creators themselves, but also exposing and sharing art. It's just powerful. And it's one of the things that distinguishes us as a species. It's like our music, it's our art, it's our theater. Those are things that define us and distinguish us from other animals on this planet, which, you know, are also beautiful and and awesome and valuable too. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's part of my purpose. And certainly my dad through his buildings and my mom through her music and my great, great grandfather uh, through his art, I think they felt a similar kind of connection to their purpose through art. Yeah, it, it, it just radically transforms people for the better. I'm honored to be able to create art as my living. Like it's what I do every day. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to invest my energies there as opposed to, you know, something else, investment banking, or I was going to say flipping burgers, but I think culinary food is an art too. So me too. Sure is. I've always felt that um, any kind of art is really about kind of a deeper sense of storytelling. It's almost like a storytelling of the soul and that 
one of the most important things we can do is to share other people's stories so that a greater sense of empathy is created. And then that is really what teaches us about history. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes, you know, this forum so important. You know, y'all are elevating stories and I'm sure folks, your listeners included, really gain a lot from hearing and, and feeling what other people have to say. And, you know, we say in poetry, like the personal is universal and vice versa. The universal is very personal. So like for my kids album, Dad, for example, you know, I'm dealing with my kids. These are voice notes that came from my phone. These are my experiences. But already in the two, three days that it's been out, I've gotten so much amazing critical feedback from people saying, oh, this reminds me of, um, you know, me and my dad. And this reminds me of a time I had with my grandparents because we're all, we share this human experience. And when we tell our stories, it resonates with people that, you know, maybe you didn't even anticipate, but that's the beauty of it. It's beautiful. It actually made me feel good about this podcast. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So your new album, DAD, is all about Black fatherhood. Tell me about what went into making it and what message do you hope parents and kids take away from it? Yeah, well, you know, Black fatherhood is definitely nuanced because there aren't a lot of Black voices in children's music at all of any kind, uh, but specifically Black dads haven't really been part of the equation in this genre of music specifically. So for me, a lot of the album, when when you say Black fatherhood, it's really, a lot of it is going to be very similar to a lot of fatherhood experiences that folks have, regardless of their background. I think where a kind of nuanced perspective kind of comes in is in the music production, is in uh, the celebration of, uh, for example, on a song like Daddy Daughter Day, the unique relationship between father and daughter, like a lot of the album centers on my daughter, Stella. I think that is a really special and important thing to come from a Black singer, songwriter, producer, because, you know, in addition to white supremacy and racism, there's also this weird kind of toxic patriarchy in Black culture where Black men aren't always allowed to be vulnerable or we're not embraced in our uh, capacity to be nurturers. Uh, or primary caregivers. And so I think that was like a really fun and, and very natural way for me to express my love for my kids in the song. It's just unconditional and it's creative and it's funny. Like there are parts of the album where my kids are like freestyling about eating oatmeal and I'm like telling them to go clean their rooms. But then there's also songs like My Body, which are is about consent culture and creating consent and giving kids language around Uh, having power in their bodies and being able to say no to unwanted hugs or touch in a way that's not, you know, that's age appropriate for kids. You know, it's my body, my rules. You know, you can kind of give them words and affirmations that they can recite and sing. That's not kind of creepy or scary. Like it's fun and playful and affirming. Um, So yeah, that's been really fun to write and co-create with the other musicians and features on the album. And I'm really proud of this album. I think in general, there is such a black in children's music. My partner was a musician and we talk about it all the time. Whenever we listen to kids music, we're always like, oh, there's really like a void here that we need to be able to fill. And when we find really good kids music, we love it. It's like we can't can't get enough. What is the age range of your kids? What do you got, as I like to say? <laughs> my kids are now 10 and 11. But the music spans a decade, you know, uh, uh, their whole lives. So some, some of the songs really pertain to my daughter when she was three. 
and my son when he was five or when they were newborns. I think kids have a lot of brilliance and we don't need to pander to them and create music that's all Barney or, or Baby Shark level. Yeah. Um, kids respond to Beethoven. Kids respond to complex African polyrhythms. Like they can dig their gums. because <laughs> That's good. Deep. I like they can dig their gums into music that is more complicated than I think a lot of children's musicians give them credit for. My goal with this album was to not insult their intelligence because kids are brilliant and they're sponges. And I would like them to have taste. I would like them to grow up and be like, oh no, that's that's trash. Like this is good, complicated, beautiful, lyrical music. I know what that's like because I've been exposed to it from very young. So is there anything else you want our listeners to know or you just want to let out into the world? Well, yeah, uh, I would say to your listeners, first of all, you have great taste because this has been an awesome experience. Um, Oh, I want to say you. that I want to say that my my children's music album DAD it's has really been a labor of love. It is a love letter to my dad who passed away last year and I think it's something that families of all different backgrounds will really enjoy. If you go give it a listen, go straight to track number 10. It's a song called Gather Your Clothes. And I've gotten like, I don't know, 20 text messages from people who are like, oh my God, I love that song, Gather Your Clothes, including a a direct message from Jennifer Garner (laughs) about how much she loved the album. And I was so flattered and so humbled and so tickled by that because I've been a fan of hers for a long time. She's a great mom. Yeah. So go check the album out. You're going to love it. Jennifer Garner loves it. So that means you're going to Jennifer love Garner approves. <laughs> I just want to tell you, Ashley and I totally have mom crushes on you. You are killing it. You seem like such a thoughtful, warm dad and artist. And we are just so incredibly thankful that you took some time from your schedule to come talk to us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And can you tell everyone where they can find you? You can find me everywhere on the internet. It's just with my name. My first name is Pierce, like Pierce Your Ear, P-I-E-R-C. C-E, last name Freelon, F-R-E-E-L-O-N. And that is my Instagram. It's my Facebook, Twitter, my TikTok, my LinkedIn. Everything is just first name, last name, no underscores or funky spellings. As far as I know, I'm the only Pierce Freelon in the world. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pierce. It was really a pleasure. And, you know, come back. I'm sure you're going to have something new to promote in like a day. So just hit us up. I will. Thanks so much. If you are a child of the 70s and 80s, which you probably are because you're a parent now, you know one of our next guests from the trio, Sharon, Lois, and Bram. Our other guest is not only her singing partner, but her daughter. So welcome, Sharon and Randy. And she's the boss. She's the manager. Yes. (laughs) Get it. Everything that she says. Yes. (laughs) We're tickled to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for wanting to be on the show and taking time. Thank you. I know that you have Skinamarink with Sharon and Randy, a live virtual event on August 27th. Can you tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from Sharon and Bram to Sharon and Randy? Well, we had to transition first from Sharon, Lois, and Bram to Sharon. Right, right. And we did that 20 years ago when Lois retired. And Bram and I were very accustomed to singing together, being together, hanging together. So that was, was... 
was easy. It was a pleasure. And we had almost 20 years touring in that way. And then the last couple of years, leading into our 40th anniversary, Randy got involved and managed us and looked after everything related to the touring, was producer of the new, our wonderful new Skinnamarink book. Uh, she wrote all the new lyrics for the book, which are fabulous. And she produced an album. Bram and I had not recorded in many, many years, and she produced the recording that we did, which is called Sharon and Bram and Friends. And it, it's mostly a bunch of songs that my husband had written years ago. So it's very exciting. And she would sing with us. She sang on the album and she would sing with us periodically in, in various situations. And once Bram decided that he really wanted to retire, it made sense for the two of us to carry on. She knows everything there is to know about Sharon, Lois and Bram and our history and the music and all of that. So it's been a natural evolution. I joke that I spent my whole life preparing for this job. <laughs> I mean, you have. Yeah, that seems very accurate. I guess is if that- you're raised in the business, then sometimes your kids bring a whole different new life to a project that you started so many years ago. In the couple of years leading up to the 40th anniversary touring, they had really pared down to a duo where they were traveling, the two of them, and it was getting hard. And I really didn't, I wanted them to retire with a bang. And Bram was ready. He was really ready to not do this anymore. And touring is so hard too. It's strenuous. Oh, I traveling with them. I don't know how they did it all those years. It's so exhausting. But um, when I suggested to my mom that we should do stuff together, I mean, I've been running harmonies with them my whole life and I taught them songs. I wrote stuff for them. And then the idea of singing together seemed obvious to other people who suggested it to me. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know about this. (laughs) So it turned out that we're actually... Our friend Grant Slater, who's also our keyboard player, says that whether we intend it or not, we're a bit of a comedic duo. (laughs) Yes. We we had some gigs that were lined up. And then, of course, with the pandemic, that that all fell apart. So Randy and I started doing Facebook Live performances and and focusing on the albums that the trio had produced. And we had so much fun doing them. And people enjoyed them. And it was kind of natural. And they were playful. And we were very informal, very relaxed. And I think people like to see real people doing real things and that's yeah. Well, you know, what's really nice is, you know, they say don't meet your heroes um, because a lot of times you'll be very disappointed. And I think the fact that you guys working together and this event, you know, Randy, your children are a part of it, right? As I was seeing your kids, I was thinking mine are 17 and 19 and they tower over us, but they're (laughs) they're musical. My my son, Ethan, will be playing guitar. My son, Elijah, is going to sing with us when we do fish and chips and vinegar. He's going to lead a third of the round and and can you imagine how thrilling that is for me oh, it's got to be a meet and it just oh. my point in the don't meet your heroes is it legitimizes truly this legacy that you've created and that you know this family business I mean it is a business but this this family experience yes absolutely and it, it makes it it's just so genuine and it it's really nice That's this lovely. is what secretly we hope me and my husband hope happens because my husband's a musician I was a singer actor musician and already our daughter really likes music so we're like this is what we're gonna do we're gonna retire and become a touring band <laughs> <laughs> So, Luna, what's your instrument? You know, 
Well, you know, so it's cute. because people who were fans of the elephant show, that's when me. I, when I was traveling, they would say that one of the things that they loved about the show was they felt like Sharon Lowe and Bram were genuine, authentic people, that they weren't talking down to kids. That, that no, it's like Mr. Rogers, the same thing. You have the same like Mr. Rogers vibe. You're just our friend. So for me growing up, they were part of our life, our family and our life and our circle. And Lois was like an aunt to me. And, you know, Bram's very much like an uncle. And their personalities on screen, on stage and in person are really the same. That's so nice. Carrie and I, we love our moms very much. Like I live seven blocks from my parents. My mom is my best friend in the world. So it is I'm quite- to New Jersey to be closer <laughs> to my mom in the fall. So it is quite actually our dreams to work with our mothers. Aww. So what's that like for you, Randy? You know, and that being said, I would fight with my mom constantly if we worked together. But at the end of the day, it'd be good. We'd love each other. We'd be happy. So Literally what's it like for you guys? Friends. We like yeah. are obsessed with our moms. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, my other job is family lawyer, divorce lawyer. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're perfect for this. <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time in that aspect of my life dealing with you know, conflict. conflict and unpleasantness and negativity. And I've always been involved. I mean, I, I worked in their office. I worked on the TV shows. I always had a hand in things over time. She even was an elephant. I was the elephant. <laughs> um, and so when this opportunity presented itself, for me, it just came with so much gratitude to be able to be creative, to be able to be in an environment where all you're doing is creating joy and being around families who get immense pleasure from this. So for me, it was a a gift and a blessing to be able to honor the career of my mom and Bram and Lois, and then to be able to try and continue and sustain the legacy and keep sharing the music because it's timeless. And bring a new life to it. I hope so, for sure. And the thing is that we're in a different place than you will be with your mothers because there's more behind me than what's ahead of me. And I'm really happy. I was terribly involved and had a lot of control and a lot of power, as we all did. But I'm very happy to let Randy run <laughs> things and tell me when to turn up and what we're doing. And I mean, it's not that she doesn't consult me at all, because of course we do discuss things, but I'm able to be more relaxed about all of that now. Is and it, I listen, know, let I me tell you. Her and I know her values and I know her yeah. expectations. And partly I'm emissary, partly I am... Um, you know, advocate and partly we're just very in sync and in agreement about this stuff. I was just going to say, listen, COVID has aged Ashley and I about 20 years. So we might be ready to hand over the reins when this is over because we feel like we've done the work of 20 years worth of, and it's just been just a few months. I believe it. Yeah. It's rough. Can we talk about Skinnamarink? Always. actual song talking to you is kind of very emotional for me my husband and I have talked extensively about how we were singing it at three years old we both love the elephant show and now our three-year-old son sings it it, it's one of his favorites you can't imagine how much pleasure that brings to me and 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 by the way we also loved the elephant show we loved uh, making it we loved doing it we reflect back on it with immense 
pride and pleasure. It was my Paw Patrol, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was the thing that I loved all the time. What is it like? What does it feel like to have, I've said legacy before already in this interview, but it truly is. What is it like to have touched so many people with this song and be a part of that? It was incredibly surprising. <laughs> we learned the song because before we made our first record, we borrowed money from our family and friends. And Lois went to Chicago to get some money from her family. And she met her young cousin, Lisa, and said, do you know any good songs? And Lisa taught her skinnering. She was a little girl. She learned it at guide camp. And Lois brought it back and said, I think this is a good song. Let's record it. And we did. And when we did our first concert, we said, it's such a great song. Let's end the show with that, which we did. And then we said, it's a perfect ending. We, we will end everything forever with this song. And we did. Every show, every performance, every TV show, every interview. I mean, we always use that song. So we didn't know we were building a legacy. We just knew that it was a great message to have people singing, I love you to each other. What could be better than that? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, exactly. And, you know, I'm immensely proud of that. I never dreamed such a thing, but if you're going to leave people with something, a message like that forever is, it's, that's as good as it gets. Is there anything else that you want our audience to know? Well, I, I can tell you that we are working on um, the next Sharon, Lois, and Bram book, which um, is going to be of one elephant. And uh, you will probably hear it long before you see it because they won't, they won't even announce it for until 2022 but once the uh the new words are nailed down which i have written you will get to hear it so we're very excited about that the book industry moves at a different pace than the re recording industry yeah. mm. the skin and rink book it's such a huge winner much to the surprise of i mean right. we knew it would be good but we didn't know it would be that successful and it's immensely it's a bestseller in canada when you were asking about skin about skin and rink earlier when when they decided to do the book they expected it to be successful, but it sold more than 50,000 copies, which is phenomenal. I mean, 5,000 is a bestseller in Canada. 50,000 is a big number of books for most authors. So we are overjoyed with the response to it. And what it has done is it has created a new vehicle for sharing the song because you can read it and look at the illustrations or you can sing it. So we're very grateful for that. I'm going to go get it after this interview. And I have to tell you, we got Footloose, the book, which is based off of the song. And if that song can have a book, Skinnamarink needs a book, <laughs> you know? Let us know what you say when you see it firsthand. I can't wait. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for Sebastian to have it. Plug yourself. Tell us where we can find the Zoom link. Tell us all the things that, all the places we can find you. And this is your shameless self-promotion section. This is the kind of stuff that I'm so happy I don't have to know. Because Randy knows all of it. Well, can, I need, Randy, can we clone you? We need, we need Randy. Well, we gave birth to our Randys, okay? We just need to give them a few years. Okay, okay. Like 10, and then we'll put them to work. Uh, so um, so the concert is, it's $10, and it's through Side Door. So we have on all of our socials, there should be a pinned post at the top. So Sharon Lois and Bram on Facebook, at Sharon Lois Bram 
on Twitter, on Instagram. It's all the same. Sharon Lois Bram. And there's a link within all of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much. It was really such an emotional pleasure. And you gave us our cry for the day. One down. Really fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye, Sebastian. Bye. Can you say bye? Bye. 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 Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, that was so amazing. It was like a dream come true. So much good stuff there. We could have put it all in one podcast. So if you want to see the full interview and performance, please go to momtouragepodcast.com for a link to our YouTube page, or you can visit our Facebook page, Momtourage, the Facebook page, where there's a link to the YouTube there. So much good stuff. Luna and Sebastian hearing songs from Ashley in our childhood. You can see the full video and performance there. You should take a look. Hashtag swag bag. Okay, so for over a year, I have been in love with this flannel Isabel Morant shacket, which is like a basically like a long oversized flannel dress jacket thing, which sounds horrible. And I guess to some people it probably is, but I have been wanting it. Isabel Morant, very expensive. It was like almost $700. And I wanted it so badly that I went to my most fashionable friend, Kate, not the Kate you know, a different Kate who lives in LA, who works on The Bachelor. And I was like, listen, this is the jacket I want. And I need you to keep an eye out for a dupe because I am not spending $700. Oh God, everybody needs a friend like that. Everybody needs it. And she and I like usually are very good with that for each other. But I finally found it. A year later, I finally found my Isabel Morant shacket dupe. Now, when I was at your house, had you tried it on yet or no? No, I tried it on last night. And I love it. Yes. It is so great. I got it at H&M. It was $69 or $59? I wish it was $69. I know. They... <laughs> had been sold. Now, mind you, I'm 20 pounds heavier. This is an important part of it. So you know what to buy. It is likely going to be sold out by the time this airs because the small was sold out and I was forced to buy an extra small. But it was, you know, they show how oversized it is. It is so oversized. It's not an issue. If I go to button it right now at this weight, it's a little tight, but I feel like five pounds gone and it's going to be totally different. And the sleeves are a little short on me because I'm a tall girl. And as Carrie loves to tell you I have long arms with super so long arms. Sleeves are like a hair too short, but I still think it looks really good. I'm obsessed. I will link to it in the show notes. Shackets and H and M has like six thousand different varieties of the shackets, but this is I bought two. The one I wanted to fit the best fits the best. So. Shacket also sounds like if you shit in your jacket. It's a terrible name. I don't know why they keep calling it a shacket. It really is. Shart on a racket. (laughs) As I often do. (laughs) Really, they need to rename it. It's terrible, but I'm just going with it. I love my shacket. All right. I don't have anything uh, as good as the shacket, but (laughs) guys, this is. This is going to definitely seal the deal as me being the boringest Real Housewives of Momtourage. At Trader Joe's, they make frozen pureed garlic. Oh, no, that's the bat, the Dort brand? Yes. Oh, yeah, I And they have, have other that. stuff, too. Yes. So They make basil and they make correct. ginger. So I just love the Dort frozen, like, mini ice cubes. My 
Trader Joe's was out of them for like seven million years and I was running low. And one of my close friends came to take like a responsibly socially distanced class for me. And now she's a, um, she works in hospitals. So I was like, please don't pay. You're like a first responder type person. Like, thank you for helping. And she goes, I have to bring you something. I'm going to Trader Joe's. What do you want? And I was like, Dort garlic. She's like, done. You're easy to please, Carrie. I'm so easy to Very please. Very low maintenance. I know. I just love it. It makes life so easy. And I'm sure I could chop my own garlic and put it in like a ice no. cube tray. No, but why? What's the point? There's this. It's the best. Exists. It's like four bucks. There's no and I've reason. Tried, I've tried the like pre-chopped garlic and oil stuff and it tastes bad when you, I don't like the way it tastes. This just tastes like regular garlic. There's no difference. It is the best. I have been a, a user of this stuff for a very long time. My mother, who is, you know, a trained chef, every time I go to Trader Joe's, I text her and say like, what do you need from Trader Joe's? It's, she always needs like four of those containers of garlic. And then when you're sick, you could make like your own ginger drink and it melts if you put it in hot water because it's a cube and it's a great winter hot toddy slash I have a sore throat put with some lemon. That's what I use the ginger one for. God, who would have known, Carrie? We both have this love of the Dorit. Every time I say it, I feel like I'm saying Dorit from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I know. But, uh, and it excites you. A Dorit... Uh, garlic Yeah, love. it's on my list of like, I have certain things that when I go to Trader Joe's, yes. I just always get. Yep. It's like one of the things that I always get. So do yourself a favor, guys. Stock up. Stock, stock it, stock I it I almost feel like we should do like a video or a blog post on that because same. It's the best. Yes. It's the best. I, I'm so obsessed with, with so many things from Trader Joe's. And uh, uh, there's a lot of just crap, but you know, if you're an informed shopper, you really know what you're getting. There. And I think that we might need to make a little mini video that just says we're going to Whole Foods. These are the top 15 things we're getting. Yeah, I, I agree. I because sometimes great. you don't want a long shop. You just need to run in. Yes. And I know exactly where I'm going to go. And I just go there. Right. Well, that's our show. Shackets and garlic. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting content we're giving you. <laughs> Truly. Oh boy, guys. Oh boy, we're old. Well, it is a mom podcast. This isn't a podcast on hot, hip 20 year olds. <laughs> Thank God. It certainly isn't a hip hop, hippity hoppity 20 year old episode. <laughs> See you tomorrow when we're live. Bring your wine. Bring your wine and we're going to put our Zoom filters on. We'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. You get to hear the new words from the book. Good. Okay. Here's a little ditty that we all know and sing. We share it with our families and let our voices ring. It also has some actions. They're really fun to do. And now we'd like to sing this special song with all of you. Here we go. Skinnamarinky-dinky-dink, skinnamarinky-doo. I love you. Skinnamarinky-dinky-dink, skinnamarinky-doo. I love you. Put up the sun. I love you in the morning and in the afternoon. I love you in the evening and under the moon. Skinnamarinky dinky dink, skinnamarinky doo. I love you. I love you when you're happy and when you're feeling blue. And when you're feeling grumpy, I'll give a hug to you. Skinnamarinky dinky dink, skinnamarinky doo. I love you. Well, I love you in the Arctic, the desert, 
by the sea. And on the top of the mountain, standing next to me, skinnamarinky dinky I love you. I love you in the summer, the fall and winter too. I love you in the springtime. I love you through and through. Skinnamarinky dinky 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 I love you. Be sure to sing this love song with everyone around. When we all sing together, it's such a lovely sound. Skinnamarinky dinky 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 I love you. Do you want to sing a chorus for us? I Love you doing you. Good job. Again. Keep going. Skinnamarink. to do. I love you. I love you in the morning. Love you in the evening underneath the moon. Skinnamarinky dinky dink. Skinnamarinky I love you too. Oh, yay! That was so good. Guys, I cried. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, you did great. Sebastian was giving you a heavy metal remix. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's very, mommy was singing that song as a little girl. And now she's a big girl. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much. That was so special. My next-door neighbor was so jealous. She's like, oh, my God, I love them. Bye, Sebastian. Can you say bye? Can you say thank you? Bye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you and go slay. Momtourage is written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com.